What's up, my Average Greatness family? I hope everybody's doing well today. Today, we have Raja Mukherjee joining My Average Greatness. Raja, along with his best friend, Jesse Rostein, started Extra Hop Networks. It's an enterprise cyber analytics company focusing on threat detection and investigation from the inside out of an enterprise. Hands down, one of the best cybersecurity tools and platforms enterprises are delivering within their environment today. Taking a step back away from the business that's been built, but the people who built it and kind of what made Raja who he is, is one of the greatest things that I had the opportunity to enjoy during this episode. I myself have listened to this episode multiple times. I think you'll find yourself rewinding and and listening to it two, three, four times because of the deep thought and how it actually can resonate and be played back into your mind. We talk about a lot of things during the episode. So again, without stealing that thunder, keep your ear open for a couple of the key things that resonated with me. I think first was when he said, it's not about the actual work itself, but the impact on people that the work is having. The other one that he stuck out at me was make sure that kids are not afraid to be themselves, to share authentically without shame and to be vulnerable and not put their egos ahead of others. I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I did. You were not designed to be average. Average. You were designed for greatness. Greatness. This is My Average Greatness. We'll interview people who are doing amazingly great things and listen to their unique stories of greatness. Get ready to be inspired. Broadcasting around the globe. Around the globe. This is My Average Greatness, and this is Kevin Bartlett. All right, welcome back to another episode of My Average Greatness. Today's episode, just like all of them, but more than all of them, is really important to me, somebody that I admire. Today we have Raja Mukherjee joining us. Raja is the founder of the company that I work for. And quite frankly, this is a way for me to thank him and Jesse who started the company that I work for because of the culture that they built. Um, I'm able to wake up every day excited, passionate about what we're doing and serving the customers we serve and changing the way that they, they, they do what they do more efficiently. And quite frankly, changing people's lives. It makes staying up late and waking up early easy. So thank you for building that culture for us, Raja. And this is my way of saying thank you. And I'm excited for the My Average Greatness listeners to have a chance to experience you and what makes you tick. A little bit about Raja. Raja was born in Essex, UK. He grew up in Calcutta, India. He's a husband and a father. And along with his best friend, Jesse Rothstein, 14 years ago, they co-founded ExtraHop Networks. Raja now acts as a chief customer officer for ExtraHop. This all started in 1983 when his parents bought him a programming computer for Christmas instead of one of the fun gaming computers. Raja is now a renowned expert in application delivery and network protocols Raja also is very passionate about the importance of early education and believes that curiosity needs to be nurtured at a young age. He believes to give more than you take 
And the power lies within asking better questions and the right questions. That puts me on the spot. I hope I asked the right questions today, Raja. Um, please welcome Raja to my aggregate greatness. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Kevin. Most certainly. So the way that we kick off the format of My Average Greatness after that, I love to tell a story of how we had the chance to meet each other. And for me, it was day one of new hire training, sitting in with all my other colleagues. He came up on the whiteboard, drew some circles, and talked more about the high-level vision and what matters to people as people as opposed to features and functionalities. And, and from there, I, whenever I see you come on stage, I think of ACDC. I feel like you just bring so much energy to the table. Um, I, I love hearing you speak. You motivate all of us. And that, that's my recollection of, of getting to know you for the first time. You're very kind, Kevin. I, I hope I don't disappoint. So with that, um, I like to start with the end in mind, and that's how this podcast came to be. I want to set the table for the listeners and ask you a couple questions just so we can get inside your head and understand you know, what, what's going on in there and, and understand what got you to this point. And, and with that, I've got four questions. And, and the first one I'd like to start off with what does a successful life lived look like for Raja? Um, Kevin, I think the most important thing uh, is when you look back on your life, you need to understand what was important and what, what truly matters. I mean, and what I mean by that is we're, we spend so much time focused on minutia, focused on little micro goals. And look, I'm not for a second trying to denigrate the importance of earning a big paycheck and just providing for your family and earning, you know, uh, making money. Of course, that's important. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you can't take it with you. And your legacy has to mean something. It's not about buildings with your names on them. It's not about contributions and grants and reputation and dynastic legacies, if you will. But it is about the impact you've had on those around you. It is very much about the quality of the relationships. It's about how you've helped those, how, have you, how you've helped those around you. Now, there's many ways to do that. And that's the beauty. That's the beauty of, of society. That's the beauty of, of life and legacy that there's so many ways you can help others. But I firmly, firmly believe that the way to find meaning in life is by living in the service to others. How can you help other people reach their goals? How can you help them pay it forward? How, that's what really matters. At the end of the day, I promise you, I'm not going to be lying on my deathbed looking back and saying, gee, I wish I worked a little bit more. I wish I wrote a little bit more code. I wish I negotiated three more points of margin on that deal. That's not, that doesn't matter. But what actually does matter is, hey, you know what? We did something amazing. We helped, we helped our peers. We helped, we helped people. We helped others. We, we really did our part for society. We made the world a better place. And I know that sounds so hyperbolic. You know, I've, I've, I've watched Silicon Valley too, right? I've, I've seen cases where people talk about making the world a better place through <laughs> RESTful APIs. <laughs> and I know that just sounds so, so crazy. But at the same time, if we can't translate what we do on a daily basis to how we help others, then I think it's time to take a closer look at whether what we're doing actually has meaning. So I know that's a long-winded answer, but what really matters to me uh, at the end of the day is making an impact and helping those around us. That's, that's what really gives life meaning. 
ties in with that a little bit, but what, what does greatness mean to you? Greatness means fearlessness. Greatness means putting others ahead of you. Greatness means playing the long game. But more importantly, and most importantly of all, I think greatness means kindness. Yes. Yeah. And I've heard other people on the podcast say the same thing, you know, being a good human. Um, I, I enjoy that. Uh, I also like your perspective on playing the long game. And, and a lot of us in today's world, it's, you know, we live our life in 90 day windows and, <laughs> and being able to, to see the, the, the long game and the long vision. And I, I know you guys do. Um, it's been a long time building this, this business and continue to look at that with, with a customer centric. I mean, as the founder of the company, being in a customer-focused role, I mean, that's almost unheard of. Um, so you can tell that that passion is there with you and um, we, we follow. Uh, third question that I like to, to ask is, what legacy do you wish to leave behind? You know, it's, it's funny, right? I mean, this is one of those cases where many people look at legacy as um, sort of a monument to their, to their ego. They look at, uh, they they, they they treat it almost as a, um, shall we say, a proxy for immortality. And, you know, if my, my belief is if you treat, if you, if you start off with a legacy first, what you ultimately do is you start, um, you know, you, you start hamming it up for the camera, if you will. You start, you, you start living a life where you start putting perception and the image that you want of you portrayed and conveyed ahead of what you actually do. You, uh, that's, that's when you find, you know, the folks, the Instagram stars showing up and having pictures of themselves posing, you know, with a, you know, kissing babies and uh, shaking hands and what have you. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's inauthentic. That's inauthentic. I look, I, I believe, of course, there's a legacy I have in mind. Of course, there's an, I, I want to be remem- remembered fondly by those I've, I've helped. But at the same time, I don't want to live life solely for for perpetuating and stewarding a legacy or an image of myself. Um, that would that would cause me to behave inauthentically. That would cause me, you know, like everybody everybody falters, everybody makes mistakes, and if you can't be yourself because you're afraid of how that would be perceived, or whether you know the digital genie gets out of the bottle out of the bottle and now all of a sudden you have people posting embarrassing pictures of you on social media and you're afraid that that completely tarnishes your legacy um yeah you know what it's it's probably a real threat to many but ultimately uh, i I, and of course i look i'm not gonna lie if if, if you catch me on a bad day and i've got pictures of myself up on social media or what have you that uh sub awesome yeah that would be embarrassing and I know this sounds like I'm rambling here, Kevin, but um, ultimately the the way I look at things is I do the, the legacy I want, I, I would like to leave behind is somebody who put other people first, somebody who lived their life in service to others. But at the same time, I don't want to work backwards from that legacy. I'd like that to be incidental to what I do as opposed to the end goal in mind, if you, if you know what I mean. I this, absolutely do. Um, is this is this making any sense at all? It would no, with a hundred percent certainty. Like, and thank you for saying that. Right. So, when I started this, to me, legacy never even crossed my mind, um, and it was maybe like a 
self-doubt or I'm not good enough. Like I'm not a Michael Jordan. I'm not going to leave a legacy behind. Like I'm not going to impact hundred million people like a Tony Robbins from the world, but I know I'm going to do my part. And that's, that's what I was focused on. I never even thought of like, what is, what is the remnants behind? And one of my best friends lost his father this year. And his dad used to always say, care about what's in your four walls. And the biggest impact in the world that you can have is in your four walls. And that will ultimately impact the world one person at a time and the domino effect. And, and it really got me thinking. And, and not until I talked with Dave, the head basketball coach at NYU, was I willing to accept that I will leave a legacy and to think about it. Um, so uh, thank you for saying what you did because it really hits home with me personally and, and hopefully people listening too. So um, I agree. The, the ego is the, is the enemy. Yes, um, absolutely. And you will find a lot of embarrassing pictures of me if you look or ask my friends. So, <laughs> so I'm going to put that out there now. <laughs> I already know it's out there. Uh, pre-social media, my college career, thankfully. And then, you know, one person that you admire most in this world. No, um, I think you just made the reference. When you talk about, um, when you talk about um, books like Ego is the element, Enemy, you're really referring to uh, people like uh, Marcus Aurelius. You're, you're referring to uh, the, the teachings of Epictetus. And uh, one person I truly admire, admire is, is really Mahatma Gandhi. Um, we're talking about somebody who is able to really take their ego out of it. We're talking about somebody who focused on, on the bigger picture at all times, who understood that, who understood the levers they had on their environment. I mean, and I know this sounds somewhat tactical, but bear with me here for a second. Ultimately, one thing that, when, when we say ego is the enemy, I can promise you that when we get so blinded in our own pride, when we get so blinded that uh, we are personally under attack, or we, we think we make everything about ourselves. We make very poor decisions. And we make very poor decisions that are based in emotion, that are based on selfishness. They're based on, on, the, on a fight or flight scenario, if you will, where we attempt to survive and we go down to our basest, in, basest instincts. We, we become defensive. We lash out. And it, helps, it, stops us from, it stops us from being there for others. And so... When we talk about uh, people we truly admire, those who've really changed the world for the better through service are those who've truly put others first. And that comes with the principles of stoicism. That comes with uh, putting their egos down and putting the bigger mission in front of them. And when I took a look at the great stoics, and believe me, I, mean, I understand that there's a huge distance for me to go to even come close to being mentioned in, even in their, con in their context. I aspire to be like people like Gandhi. I aspire to follow the teachings of Epictetus. I aspire to be in a situation where Marcus Aurelius makes more sense to me. And it's a lifelong goal. So there are many, but ultimately these are the people who come to mind. Wow, that's going to take me off track a, a minute. So being a father, um, I know I'm looking at you on the camera. We've got your daughter's paintings. How, how do you perpetuate that for her? You know, it's, it's, an, ongoing, it's, it's, it's an ongoing journey, you know, Kevin. Um, I'll, it's, it's so strange. Look, about... Ten years back, I was speaking with somebody who told me that the ultimate 
in being able to um, put others first, the ultimate thing that you should do as a Stoic is to be able to let go of everything. Let go of everything. Your kids, you love your kids. You put everything into your kids. You, um, you nurture them. You grow them. You see yourself in them. That's the ego part. But you see yourself in them. And you see, and it's one of the most rewarding things in the, on, in the world to see your influence on another person, right? Mm. But at the same time, there's a little part of that that takes you off the off off your service, off off your off your philosophy. And so this the argument this person was making and was, was such a contradiction to me, and it still is because it's so aspirational, is love something so selflessly that you're willing to take yourself out of it. So that means that you should be willing to nurture and grow your child, but also understand that that child is somebody who's going to grow up and is going to be completely independent. And if they choose to not follow in your footsteps, if they choose to not follow your guidance, that's okay too. Yeah, That's okay too. And it's when it comes to my children, um, I do what I can to instill that kindness in them. I do what I, I do what I can to be a role model they can look up to. And I do what I can, very frankly, to, to keep them on the right path. But at the same time, I also recognize that though I'm so proud of them when they, when they do things that I, I'm amazed. I mean, you know, I can sit and brag about my kids all day. And I've internally... <laughs> I'll do I've that well. afterwards. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to share some good stories. <laughs> but, at the, but at the same time, um, Kevin, the, the, the way I also look at it is if they choose their own path, that... That no, that no of itself. If even if I disagree with it, um, that should be okay. I just want to make sure that they have that 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 they're not afraid to be themselves. That they are not afraid to share authentically without shame. To yeah. be vulnerable. To put to 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 not put their ego ahead of others. So it's not specific teachings or specific things that I want uh, uh, that I want to that I want to impart to them. But I, I hope that I can be as much of a role model as possible to where they choose to pick it up as opposed to me drilling it into them. Right. And a lot of that you do by just leading by example, by your actions day to day, as opposed to, like you said, drilling and, and you know, hammering that in, but by seeing you opening a door and saying thank you and please and caring for other people and the day to day things, they don't even know that they're learning it from you because it's, it's the actions that they're surrounded by. Exactly. You, when 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 an elder comes into the room, you stand up. When you when you show politeness to others, they reciprocate. And you know what? That's not a message you should have to be explicit in articulation. Mm-hmm. It's something they should they should see and just expect to be normal. No, I, man. I, I can go on for days with you. I mean, one of the things I, I love doing is putting my daughter to bed at night and just having that quiet time with her. And, and what you just said is literally what I tell her every single night is, you know, just continue to be yourself. Like you have your own journey. Like I'm so proud of her already. And, you know, just continue to be yourself and whatever direction that is, like we're here to support you and love you and, you know, be your parents, but you know, your life is your life. Um, <laughs> yeah, I it, totally agree. That's, that's awesome. So now that like understanding like where somebody is, I think we have to understand where they came from. 
um, to understand the way people see things. And I think that's one of the, the struggles we have right now in our country is, is people aren't willing to look through another lens, walk a mile right. in someone else's shoes or, or take the time. And, and then I say that the problem, I, I take that back. I've been a part of a lot of conversations that friends, family, coworkers, uh, colleagues that quite frankly, we're always friends, but never had those conversations. So I, I take that back. I think the media wants us to believe that these conversations aren't having. And I believe that inherently people are good and they are happening. Uh, and our people are trying to make the difference. And that's part of this is giving the platform of that. And, and when, when I say that, it, it's really hard to understand somebody until you understand them. But we never really get the time to sit down and have those conversations to peel back the layers of the onion and what makes that person tick and really get to under, understand them. So in doing that, I, lo- I love to kind of start at the beginning. Tell me about little Raja. What were you like growing up and... and- you know, being in the UK and moving to India and, and coming to the United States. I mean, you have a unique story. Um, I wouldn't say unique as much as, you know, uh, <laughs> I would say it's definitely, um, uh, a, it, was, it was an interesting path. Um, by the way, I completely agree with you. Uh, the, ultimately, one thing I firmly believe is that people are the same. Like there's, the people are the same all over the world. We all have our own philosophies. There are no good people. There are no bad people. There just aren't. Everyone really is the same. Everybody ha- has the same need and wiring. And it's, it's something that's genetically built into us as a species. So we are the same. And every time you, somebody, uh, whether it's the media or politicians or whoever's in power, paints somebody else as different, what they're trying to do is divide us. Mm-hmm. That's really what it boils down to. And people are the same. You will not find a certain, anybody on the planet who doesn't love their kids. You will not find a certain, anyone on the planet who doesn't smile when they're having a good time, when the, who doesn't dance to music, who doesn't show their joy. I mean, we are the same. But with that said, I digress. Oh, um, <laughs> I, um, I was um, I was born and raised actually in in Essex, and as you mentioned in the introduction, but I did live in in the UK for about fourteen years before I moved to to in, to India. So I moved as a teenager back to Calcutta. So I would say that my formative years were in the UK. Now, I was. Also, I also grew up in a fairly economically depressed part of the UK during the during some not so great times. I mean, we're talking about the the Thatcher years, right? So in the early eighties, um, when uh, when the UK economy wasn't doing so well either, and uh, there was a wave of xenophobia actually in in the UK at the time. And um, just as there were there there are continued racial tensions between certain ethnic groups groups in the in the US, I will say that. Um, Indian people of Indian descent and ethnicity were not uh, the most welcome in various parts of the country in, in the UK at the time. And um, the place I grew up was one of those places. And they were, uh, it, it, was, it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. And the thing that I learned, and again, this goes back to the same theme, if you will, of not being taught, but learning by watching what was around me, was I noticed that as as there was more over, overarching resentment of and blame against my ethnic group, if you will, we find that, eth- that, that ethnic group really hunkering down and it became worse because people didn't feel safe, so they banded together. And that, re- that emphasized the, oh, well, well these, these folks there, they're completely insular. They don't want to integrate. And then it became worse. And then this vicious cycle just continued yeah. to perpetuate. Uh, right now, the UK is 
quite different. I mean, look, one might, skeptically speaking, some may say, well, you know, all that's happened is it's gone into the shadows and uh, it's just not socially acceptable to express it anymore. But ultimately, the, the bottom line over here is the more, the more we hunker down and try to do and try to isolate against the the attack, if you will. And it, it was it was an attack. I mean, the bottom line is, um, there were there were some pretty nasty things happening back then. My 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 younger brother was two years old, and he got somebody somebody called him up. He picked up the phone, and there was this guy just swearing at him. And you know, we we, we, we there were attacks on the street, and you know, we'd go out, and people would 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 scream epithets at us. And I know this sounds very victimy. And I recognize that, but at the same time, that was the that was the sort of environment uh, we had when we were growing up in the UK, and that may explain a little bit as to why we moved back to India when I was a teen. That's not a decision to take lightly. So uh, that's really what was happening back then, and um, really, the thing that it taught me was that community and acceptance is very very important that the most important thing that you can have is the ability is belonging and identity now now this is a this is a double edged sword though because the number one reason you have the uh, that that you have factions fighting against each other is that same identity you have people you have people going against their own interests for identity and now at one on one side that's a great thing because you have a, one way to look at that is people will put the greater good against themselves. You go with your identity over your self-interest, which is fantastic. But the other way to look at it is you're not thinking. You're you're not you're not thinking as as to why that identity exists in the first place. And you start, and that that causes exclusivism. That causes people uh, dividing themselves. You, that causes prejudice against others. And so, uh, the yearning I had. Growing up in the UK was for one of true belonging, not based on um, artificial or imposed identity, but based on who who I am. Yeah, and I can imagine how hard that would be. Yeah, and it, it was it was interesting, Kevin. I mean, look for, I'm not trying to go all victimy here again, like I said, but it was definitely the thing that I craved, and I couldn't even put my finger on it at the time. Was 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 that sense of belonging? It was that sense of belonging, and a sense of belonging based on who I was, rather than who I aligned with. Mm-hmm. And so, so, and then, so we we often moved, and of course, you know, moving as a as a as a teenager is a, is is difficult. I mean, you're trying to figure out who you are at the same time, and moving to India, um, I I thrashed. I tried. Every everything I could to sort of fit in and be one of the cool kids in air quotes and like and look like, woe is me right I mean everybody's like everybody goes through that at, at high school time. But the interesting thing was the premise the the image I had in my mind of moving to India would be like okay okay you know I've moved from the UK I'm going to India, and now um, the prejudice the racial prejudice at least will be out of the, will be off the table right. But Kevin, you know what? It was actually kind of worse in on several fronts. It was worse on several fronts because really going there and opening my mouth, the first thing that happened was, of course, I spoke with a very strong English accent. And uh, immediately the first thing that, that people said, 
would say, wow, why are you speaking like that? Do you think you're better than us? And that now all of a sudden, uh, I'm not being judged, if you will, on the color of my skin or the or perception based on what I look like, but actually based on the way I spoke. Right. So I hit a little closer to home. And so now all of a sudden, I was playing defense, if you will, around the way in, in which I was speaking. And you know, in a, in a bizarre way, that's actually worse than the way you look, <laughs> because <laughs> because now you're not prejudged based on uh, on on a preconcept a misconception that you can dispel. Now your your people could actually will actually you, you open your mouth and yeah, that's when you screwed it up. And so <laughs> <laughs> you become very quiet at that point. <laughs> yeah. um, Actually, I mean, I, I I was sort of I was a bit over the top initially. Uh, you know, through tenth grade, I was trying I was trying too hard, and then basically in eleventh grade, grade I just sort of just you know gave up and I said, you know what, um, I'm going to try to do my thing. I'm going to try I'm going to try to just just figure myself out. And so uh, one thing I did was I, I I found solace in a lot of music. I started playing a lot of music, right? I, I actually in eleventh grade I I got together with a couple of other folks in in, in school. We we started a band, and I started playing a lot of music. And so that was my that was my focus. I really enjoyed that. I'll also be blunt. You know, one of the things about one of the things about that band was it helped me find that community again. You know, we were we were people who were getting together and we were going to play music, and it wasn't. Well, he Roger speaks with an accent, therefore he must think he's better than us. And yeah. I, I know I sound like I have a chip on my shoulder about it, and I kind of do, to be honest. Chips are good. But it be- <laughs> they can be. They can. They can be. They can they, be good uh, or detrimental, they, right? Yeah, how you use it. They, they they cloud your judgment, though, don't they? Mm-hmm. But either way, um, all of a sudden it became about it became about the mission and the mission and the band. Was not to stand out and be the best, you know, keyboardist or lead guitarist or the the the, or the the front man for the band. The mission of the band was to was to make something really, really good to support your bandmates, to to come up with some really good music and have a great show and have and, and it, was, it was awesome. All of a sudden, being part of that team, and that was, by the way, the first actual team I was a, I was really a, a member of. I've never been. Very, very athletic, but um, but in terms of uh, in in terms of being able to be a part of something bigger than myself, that's that's what really taught taught me that lesson, if you will. And so, um, growing up in the UK, seeking belonging, moving to India, uh, creating that belonging in the band, and then moving to the US, um, there was it was it was just such a journey because what what happened was moving to the US. Um, I came in over here to the U.S. in '96, and I was finishing up my my education. Actually, I was finishing up university at the time, and um, that was a fascinating process because, to me, I came. It was a fresh start. It was it was a fresh start. I mean, all of a sudden, did you come I, you with know, your family, or is it just you coming to school? Uh, it was just me. Okay, it was just me. So I came up to finish my edu- finish up my, my education. I, I finished up entered the industry. Um, and I, it was a fresh start because all of a sudden, um, I started learning about meritocracy. I started learning, okay, you know, there's, uh, I will say this, I mean, my experience and everybody has different experiences, but my experience was, uh, the U S for me was the first meritocracy I was a part of. There's a lot of things we've got going, um, 
wrong over here, I'm sure. And I know that uh, other, other others' experiences are different, and I recognize that. I'm not saying for a moment that because I haven't experienced some of the issues that people have that they don't exist. I mean, that is that in and of, in and of itself is the definition of privilege. And I recognize that everybody's journey is their own. But I will say that in terms of that fresh start, in terms of being able to do something unencumbered uh, by myself and my perceptions, if you will, um, the the U.S. gave me that that uh, that fresh start, that clean slate, and um, it was it was it was amazing for me. I mean, for the opportunities I was given by managers, by people I worked with, by doing right for customers, and by living a life in service to those customers, by picking up things in the office and doing things to help my team execute better. Uh, the opportunities shone for me over here because of that. Sometimes it was sometimes the 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 work was 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 less than um, glamorous. I pick up the things that nobody else wanted to do, but ultimately it wasn't about the work. It was about the impact on others around me. Um, if, for example, let let's say you're let's say you're fixing bugs in somebody's code, that's not exactly the most glamorous stuff. But what you're doing over here is you're taking load off others, you're, and the impact of your work is on your customer, who no longer has frustration, who can now roll out that code into production. It's not about the work itself; it's about the outcome of that work. And if you're helping your customer, if you're helping your teammates, then you're on the right path. And that's the philosophy of um, that's that's really help me um, do well in the US. Do you think the moments of, you know, being in the UK and in India and kind of fighting some of those challenges and looking for the, the camaraderie and, and teamwork, if you will, and being, being accepted is one of those burning desires that you had that gives you that outlook? I think people are their experiences. I mean, many people say, we'll, we'll talk about being a product of the experiences. I think you are your experiences. And so, oh, yes. And there's, That's there's, interesting. <laughs> um, it, everything from unconscious bias to the decisions that you'll take under stress to what you aspire to be, to what you aspire, how you aspire to be regarded to the story arc I'm coming up with over here is 100% around the experiences I've had and what I want to shape my future experiences to be. So when we talk about, um, when, 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 when we talk about who you are, you're basically, you are basically your experiences. It, it, it defines every as, aspect to you. That's why, that's why when the FBI tries to profile somebody, they look at, they look at their background to predict what they're going to do in the future. It's, mm. it's not something we necessarily even have control over. It's, some of it is unconscious, but the bottom line is it will define how we react to a situation, how we, how we react to a circumstance. And that's why when I talk about molding my children's lives, I guess it sounds like almost crass to molding their lives, right? At the same time, uh, the experiences I give them, the experiences that they have right now defines what kind of people they will be moving forward. Right. And that's not something that they, that they can even control. It's just, that, that's just the way it is. Yeah, and it sounds like some, something you don't take lightly either. No, absolutely not. And that is, that is uh, the first I've, I've heard that, that lens to kind of look at it, and I, I completely see that. And it's almost like you, the 
best predictor of success is your past and um, like success leaves bread, you know, it leaves breadcrumb trails, right? There, there's always keys along the way and that, that might be intentional or unintentional. Yeah, I think it's also important to define your success. I mean, very often we, we, we put ourselves on a scorecard that somebody else sets for us, right? I mean, yep. success, success is, for, somebody, for some people, success is you know, career progression. For other people, success is a vibrant, healthy community. For others, it's, uh, it's never being shown up. For, I mean, it's, it's, so, it's yep. so subjective. But ultimately, I think the most one one important thing is to figure out what success is to you and live your life by that scorecard, not by the scorecard that somebody else set for you. Yeah, amen. I'm, <laughs> yeah, and taking that time to to sit back and reflect and understand that, and me going through that experience in January 2019, and you know, I used to sit out, write out goals and where I wanted to be, and you know, I talk about like the why, and then I argue, is it the why or the what? Like, is it what I'm doing? Is it really the why? And I, I, I'm a yin and yang today. It might be this and tomorrow will be that. And I think they're both right. Um, but, but really before my kids were, were born, they were my why in, in impacting their lives and in making an impact. So, um, but it, it, it was something I struggled with because I, I wanted, I wanted that to be my why, but I wasn't okay with it because they weren't even alive. I wasn't even married at the time. So then I struggled with my identity and, but I knew that I needed to leave an in, you know, I wanted to impact somebody and, and make a difference and, and leave the life, the world better than I came into it. And I felt like at the time that was the only way I thought I was going to be able to do it. Um, so I, I, we're, we're reading from the same book here for sure. So that, that's, <laughs> so you, you've had this journey. You came over to the United States. You're, you're working. You're now in, in IT. Tell me you know, how, what was your, what we call, uh, Dave Sanders calls the pitch. He went down in the Hudson on the plane, uh, plane crash. He's now a speaker. And he, he was, he'll be on an upcoming episode here as well. He talks about pitch, points in time that change everything. What was your point in time that changes everything from like your career that was the moment that you and Jesse said, we need to start our own business and start extra hop. So there were a number of things, right? Um, I'm not going to say there was any one particular moment. It was, um, it, it was a culmination of things over time. It was, it was, it was something of an arc, right? So when I started my career in the U S I actually worked in the financial services world. And the thing that struck me, was the organization I was a part of, they set themselves apart, not by, not, not by the, uh, the SLAs on their trades, not even, and you know, this sounds crazy, but even fund performance, the, the, the bottom line is when you, you know, you're in financial services, fund performance is an important thing. Of course, it's super important. And many people will rightly say, look, um, the bottom line is it's about how you grow your it's about how you grow your portfolio how you how your how the um, how what the ROI of the of your investments is and of course that makes sense but ultimately if everybody hopped from company to company or from fund to fund every single time one fund was doing better than another then we simply um, there'd be no industry there would be an industry solely based on on financials and nothing else, and there would be no question. I mean, you'd be looking at every single company based 100% on fiscal return, and not based on its culture or the way or or its mission. 
And that's and I know this sounds a little bit abstract, but um, the way putting a finer point on it, the organization that I joined was a was dif- distinguished itself. Of course, they 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 drove strong fund performance, but they distinguished themselves on the way they took care of their investors. And what I mean by that is they had carved a specific niche out in 401ks and 403bs in making sure that retirees felt safe, felt educated, were comfortable with the way and the transparency and the advice that the organization was giving. And that education, the the way that we uh, that the the company took care of their customers was their brand. Now, if we reduce this 100% down to the down to fund return and the IRR or the MUIC of the of the funds on the investments they put in, yeah, I'm sure that would be very good. But ultimately, the mission of the organization was very very clear. It was about making sure that our customers were taken care of in more ways than one, not not just fund performance. And so working in that empathetic environment and coming over from there to F5 made me very much a customer experience advocate, if you will, for F5. And this was a bit of a contradiction in terms because uh, I'm I'm pretty technical. I'm, you know, the the work I did, I've done in my career on, in terms of the in terms of the code I've written, in terms of things I've done. I've, I've written kernel device drivers. I've written various things that that have worked inside, um, in, in, in basically at, at the very guts and innards of the operating system, working very very closely with the hardware. But I also realized that that was a means to that was a means to an end. The the what we're trying to do over here is we're trying to do something better for our users. It's not optimizing a kernel driver or a device driver in order to take away interrupt latency as, as much as, as it is, you open up, you, you, you improve the software so that your customer's missions can be better realized. Right. So when we talk about, for example, ExtraHop today, when we talk about what we're doing, I could talk about you know, stiffing packets, I could talk about various types of metadata, et cetera, et cetera. I choose not to. I like to talk about how Seattle Children's Hospital uses our product to save lives. I like to talk about where we fit into the big picture, into, into this coronavirus pandemic. There's this massive transformation occurring right now. And our customers need to be need to be safe. They need to be safe. We have a duty to we, we have a responsibility as an organization to do right by our users. And even if they're not our users, our users users. We have that responsibility, and we can't shirk it. So how do we, as an organization, find meaning in what we do? And again, it's through service. And so from that perspective, the, the story arc for me was really growing up, or if, if we were starting off in, a, in an organization that dedicated itself, itself to the service of others beyond, what they, beyond how they did their job, but what they were doing and the why behind it. And that translated to me at F5. And when Jesse approached me, and I'll be really clear, Jesse was the person who really, really wanted to start ExtraHop. That's awesome. For me, it was, it, it was about, it was, it was exciting. It was, okay, great. We have this opportunity over here to do more. Because at, at, at F5, it was very much customer first. And it was very much, how do I 
translate what I was doing on the engineering side for our customers here at Xdrop. Now all of a sudden, you know, we're engineering, we're marketing, we're sales, we're everything. You know, we we get to mold this culture and do you know meddling. Well, <laughs> for my part, I guess it was meddling in everything. Um, and I saw this as as the opportunity to take, to widen the aperture of the ways we could help people. And so when Jesse told me that we should do this, and of course, you know, he 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 was the person who was really saying that you know we should start extra, we should do this. I looked at this as a way to um, to deliver on that cultural promise, on, on that aspiration. And that's really, that, that's my why behind Extra Hop. Yeah, and I mean, you just brought it full circle for us. So, you know, everything that we've been talking to really leads into that, which I can feel as an employee is the culture. And, you know, like I said, attitude reflects leadership. And it's, it's very evident. It's one of the best cultures I've ever been a part of. Um, oh, people you. that we're surrounded with. And it makes a heck of a lot more sense now um, as it just being, you know, two cool guys and started this company that had great personalities. There's a lot of intent, um, you know, coming from the heart. And it, it's, it's definitely felt as one of the people in the field. I mean, I, I mean I'll also add this, though, Kevin. The, the bottom line is, Jesse and I, we, we simply start and spark the culture. Now we have to steward it, of course. I mean, not, nothing self-assembled. You have to be intentional about it. But the reason Xtrop has a strong culture is because of you. It's because of people at this company. It's because of our customers. It's it's the people we come in touch with. It's not. It's a. There's no such thing as a top-down culture. There's top-down enforcement. There's top-down mandate, mandates, edicts, fiats. But a culture is something that has to can be that has to be stewarded. Has to be intentionally stewarded. Mm-hmm. But if it's to be strong, it's something that's organic that ripples through the organization. It's not me and Jesse and leadership. This is this is all of us. So thank you. And thank you to everybody at Xdrop for making this for for making this possible. No, one question I have to ask: the name. Where where <laughs> does, where does the name Extra Hop come from? So heard a lot of rumors. You know, <laughs> I just need to clear them up. <laughs> oh gosh, and I'm being taped on this one. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so we, we can um, bypass it if you want. <laughs> no, it's it's fine. Um, so there's uh, there's. So there's the uh, there's the official there's the official um, reason, if you will, um, and the official reason is well, of course, you know, Xtrop is a memorable name, and the domain was available, and uh, <laughs> you know, it's it makes a whole lot more sense. You can spell it. It's near the beginning of the alphabet, and there's all these various things. But actually, there's there's a there's a number of things over here. Um, when we first started the company, or oh, by the way, all these factors are true. Domain was available. You could spell it. It wasn't a made up name, but it was also memorable. And many people people look at us and say, "Well, why would you name why would you name your company Xtrop? Aren't Xtrop's bad?" But then again, the answer to that is um, Xtrop is only a bad Xtrop's only bad if you're actually passing traffic through them. And I'll, I'll back up here for a second because I understand that this might not necessarily be a technical uh, session. But the way you look at it is in networking technology, a hop is anything through which traffic passes. So let's say you're let's say you're on the internet and you're part, and you're going to yahoo.com or you're going to microsoft.com or what have you. Every hop, or, or rather every, uh, your when you send traffic to them or you're on the internet and you're talking to these sites, the content comes back through a series of hops through the network, and you want to reduce the number of hops as much as possible, because each hop 
that the traffic passes through slows down traffic. So an extra hop is usually a bad thing. But the product that we make at ExtraHop is a solution that doesn't actually, uh, the traffic doesn't pass through us. We simply sit off to the side and we watch it on the side. So ExtraHop was a little bit of a deflection in terms of uh, what we uh, what we do doesn't pass traffic in the first place. So when we, uh, so it was, there was a tongue-in-cheek joke around us saying, well, extra, uh, this is the best extra hop you will never take in terms of monitoring traffic. But ultimately, what it really boiled down to is we were looking for a name that was memorable. It was, in fact, you know, we, we had uh, people saying, we, I mean, conversations did, in fact, in the early days start off with, why would you name your company extra hop? And now we have a conversation versus why would you name your company Tululia or Papulia or something that <laughs> right. um, nobody would ever figure out and you know made up names, missing vowels, what have you. Here's a name that's memorable, start the conversation starter, and you could spell it. And so from a tactical perspective, it really started off as, you know, a, a decision that we made was which was very sort of counterintuitive, but it stuck. And I think we built a brand around it. Yes, we sure have. You sure have. And I'm glad to be a part of it here. So being being respectful uh, of everybody's time here, Raja, you've you've really opened up the kimono and appreciate you sharing and in giving us insight to the way that you look at life. Where do you see yourself in ten years? And I went ten instead of five intentionally. <laughs> yeah, push push it out, push push the barriers. Where well, I see myself in ten years, um, Kevin, uh, the the, the problem is the I know what I aspire I know how I aspire to grow in 10 years Mm -hmm. I know I I know I know how I wish to grow but if you ask me where I see myself in 10 years in terms of logistically company-wise all those crimmings, I, I, I can't tell you. I mean, I, I have some aspirations for the company. I mean, for the, for, for the company and for the business, I mean, look, I, I, can, I can spout out numbers as to where I see where, what I think our market traction should be and, you know, how things should be going in terms of the company and what I would love, what, what I'd love for our community to be like. And of course, I have goals there. I'm very goal-oriented and goal-driven. But where I see myself in 10 years, if, again, this comes back to that same deathbed question, what really matters. And really, if I take a look at that, um, I can't tell you how I get there or what it ultimately is, but I can tell you that in 10 years, I hope I will have grown and evolved my thinking in terms of my wisdom, in terms of the wisdom I've developed over the years. I hope I will have had the chance to demonstrate to more people, to a larger circle, if you will, the importance of kindness, authenticity, and the fact that that we should be vulnerable. And what I mean by that, vulnerability is one part of authenticity. And the entire, the, the Brene Brown went out so far as to say she defines shame in the best way I've ever heard anybody define it. She's defined shame in terms of fear of rejection. And if you have a safe place, if you have a safe place where people aren't afraid of rejection, then there should be no shame. And I hope to make a safe community and a safe environment for as many people as possible in 10 years, constantly growing, 
so that people can be themselves, so that we can get to real things that matter, so that we're not posturing, that we're not hiding, and we can live our best lives and live a life of connection rather than the BS that we're chasing and trying to, 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 to wash everything in. I know this sounds I, I know this sounds so abstract, but you know again it's that same deathbed lens, whether the company's ten thousand people or twenty thousand people, et cetera, et cetera. That's that's a detail. What mm-hmm. what actually matters is to me is that is the are the feelings, not not the fixings. Oh, thank you for putting people first. And I've been asked that question so many times on interviews. And I felt like I always had to answer it. And I, I feel like I never really had the answer either because my life has been, I've, I've had a lot of twists and turns. And, and I feel like sometimes when you don't have expectations is when you do your best work. And when you have, like, I'm a goal-oriented person, but five years down the road, if that's your singularly focus, you're not, your eyes aren't open for, for different opportunities and to look at things through a different lens because you're so singularly focused. So thank you for... for breaking that down from, from that perspective. So the way that we end this podcast is the final question. If something were to happen to you, and I know we've talked a lot about this and kind of unpacked it, but maybe a quick synopsis of that. If something were to happen to you, what message would you like to leave for your kids, the family and the world? If I could leave a message to those who would listen to me or even those who wouldn't, but would, but wouldn't be put off by listening to listening to listening listening to any of my words. Uh, I would say um, focus on what matters. Focus on being kind. And um, focus on what gives you joy and true meaning. Don't don't spend your life um, living somebody else's dream. So well said. Thank you so much for your time. Really, really enjoyed talking with you today, Raja. And the way that I close every episode is uh, in honor of my friend, Mikey. We love you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to My Average Greatness, a show highlighting interviews with average people doing great things from every walk of life. We hope you found encouragement and most of all, inspiration we'll be back soon but in the meantime keep up with us on instagram at my average greatness make sure to leave us a comment and don't forget to follow and share the podcast you were not born to be average you were born to be great and maybe you'll be our next interview till next time